Hello, listeners. Before we get started, we just have a couple of announcements. First of all, we would be remiss without mentioning that we are in a very interesting time right now in which globally there has been an uprising and outcry against police brutality and for Black Lives Matter. And just want to let you know that we wholeheartedly support this. Um, If you follow us on social media, you maybe see our kind of longer explanation of how we feel about this. And if you, for whatever reason, think that this isn't the way that Black folks and folks around the world should be going about it, you should just uh, unsubscribe right now. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Our official official position, since we assume that most people who listen to our podcast are queer and or queer allies is that if you don't support this you don't get to celebrate pride this year or ever yeah you know uh learn your queer history pride was literally a riot so yeah and as much as we still have a long ass way to go in terms of queer and trans rights the pride riots very clearly and tangibly resulted in change which is also what's happening with this current revolution we are witnessing real tangible meaningful change and anyone who says that it shouldn't be happening the way that it's happening is wrong (laughs) because the other ways have been tried and have failed and uh is that it I didn't take notes about what else we needed to say at this part. So, you know yeah. What? It's what it is, and with that. <laughs> uh, tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be like quote unquote enemies for every time we bring up that. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the <laughs> sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And today we are reading chapters 10 through 14 of carry on chapter 10 we our first pov chapter from the mage the mage really thinks of simon only in regards to simon's powerful out of control magic like the fuck fakes he is with just the lightest sprinkling of concern that simon is slipping out from under his thumb chapter 11 back to lucy's pov Lucy reminisces about the man she knew only as Davy, who arrived at Watford with a chip on his shoulder against the world of mages and their system of only teaching the most magical kids. Chapter 12, Simon again. Simon and Agatha are together at last, and it's hella awkward because Simon is still mad and also self-deprecating about how much he does not fit into Agatha's wealthy lifestyle. Chapter 13, Agatha finally... Agatha is also not totally in this relationship as she knows that Simon is not going to live for much longer, which point. But she's also sad because she does not love Simon in a romantic way and thinks he is broken. Spoiler alert, she is not. Chapter 14, Sim- back to Simon. Simon does not tell Agatha about the mage because why would he? 
Simon goes to the Watford's welcome back picnic with Agatha and Penny, keeping an eye out for Baz, who never arrives. Simon's happy, though, which feels like an omen to him. Later that night, he senses, he senses a presence in his room, but is unable to find out what it is. Heck yeah. All right, let's get started. Easy come, easy go. Welcome to Easy Come, Easy Go, where we talk about everything that doesn't belong somewhere else. <laughs> My first thing is just that uh, Penny apparently likes to demand explanations from people and then tell them why their explanations are wrong, which is just another mark in my, yes, Penny is a Scorpio Virgo combo. <laughs> <sighs> right? Yep, she sure is. I mean, I did laugh out loud reading that. I'm like, she's amazing. <laughs> Um, I really like the fact that the kids, A, the fact that the kids are drinking is really, I don't know, nice that we get to see normal teenage behavior in a fantasy story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then also I really liked that they're drinking dandelion wine and Bacardi breezers. So it's like this half in the fantasy world, half in the real world combination of beverages. Yeah, I mean, of course, there are teenagers drinking fucking wine coolers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, and for the record, I'd be that asshole who'd be combining both the wine and the, and the wine cooler into a terrible, fizzy, sweet concoction of awfulness. Is is a Bacardi Breezer, is that what it is, a wine cooler? I assume so. It sounds like a Smirnoff Ice or something. I didn't actually look it up, but I would bet money it's like... An eight an eight percent APV like wine cooler, which is the kind of thing you drink as a teen for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You're like alcohol that tastes like candy. Great. <laughs> oh man, Mike's hard lemonade. I was about to say. Look, <laughs> 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 both immediately were like, "Yup, yup." <sighs> um, speaking of the garden party, it is. Very endearingly cute about Simon getting choked up over what I'm sure is a very terrible school song. Yeah, he he's so happy, which is actually really tragic because of how terrible things are about to go for him. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted by a kitten purring. Oh yeah, he's being very good, even though he's again trying to eat my headphone cord. <laughs> Well, he has really good kitten priorities. Oh, yes, you do. You just want to chew on all the things. All right. Uh, I just have one more, which is the food served at this picnic sounds good as fuck. As yeah. I say. And there's even a mention of one, if not very sad, a vegetarian option. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, though I but will have to say it's delicious. I mean, I feel like. Maybe just because of a childhood reading quaint British literature, but I feel like watercress sandwiches sound very fancy and I really want to eat one. Yeah. What is watercress? I think it's some it's some kind of a like green. Or like a like a bitter herb situation. Yeah, or like kinda of like a sprout kind of deal. I actually have some watercress seeds 
somewhere. I mean, I should try to grow some and then report back. It's a green leaf vegetable rich in vitamins and minerals from the same family as kale and broccoli. I've literally never seen watercress in a store. No, but I feel like I've seen it growing outside now that I'm looking at it. I mean, that would also make sense. Or it just looks like lots of other things that grow. I mean, Denny lines used to be a very fancy green, so it would make sense to me that watercress just might be growing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the descriptions of food in this book, honestly, are just like, oh, let's eat. <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. I just want to go eat now. Especially like a meat pie. Like nothing just sounds more delicious than like a meat pie. I don't know. I was really into spice cake with sour lemon frosting. That sounds really good. Yeah. I see a little silhouette of a man. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about characters like Agatha. Who we finally get a POV chapter of. Very exciting. And Mm -hmm. an actual real time in the book conversation with Agatha. Yeah. Both are very exciting. I love her. (laughs) Say more. I just, her chapter is so, is so sad where she's kind of like, I don't really feel for Simon, but I feel like I should, and I don't know what else to do. And I'm like, you don't have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, your feelings are your own. Like, you don't have to feel bad about your feelings. So, or the way that you express grief. That's all. I don't know. I just want to hug her. Yeah, I find Agatha really relatable, at least in terms of her. Like, I I think that Agatha has depression. Hmm. Like, I don't think that her whole, like, I don't feel enough for Simon, I don't love Simon enough, maybe I'm broken thing is about her and Simon's relationship. Who words? So what I wrote down is that the way that she thinks about her obligation relationship with Simon is really similar, but so different from Simon's, because I don't. I think that she's doing what she's supposed to do because she's super numb and there's not even anything else that she, it's like, well, it doesn't matter. Mm, That makes total sense. Yeah. So like, she's like, maybe I'm defective and obviously she's not defective, but I think that what she is, is dealing with mental illness that's interfering with her ability to completely experience all of her emotions. Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I also, I mean, the more we get to know her, the more clear it becomes that she has every reason to be dealing with, like, situational depression, if nothing else. Because she comes from this very wealthy family that comes with a lot of expectations, and she's not super magically powerful, and she doesn't really like anyone that's in the magical community, but she has friends that she really likes who are muggles, but she's not allowed to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I would be super depressed too. Like nothing about her life sounds good. And so she's like, well, I'm trapped and I just have to do this thing. And it's like, Simon is hot and I enjoy spending time with him and everyone wants me to be with him. So like, whatever, I guess. Oh, Agatha, you just need to be out of the magical world and, be, and become a 
your full horse girl self. Spoiler alert, she will. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna she pieces the fuck out, which is like good for her. Get the fuck out, but yeah, I love I love her conclusion to this book so much. She doesn't become her full horse girl self, but she like she's like I am done. <laughs> like leaving, going to America, don't talk to me. Which is like good. Yeah. Fuck yeah, it is. It's everything that she deserves. Mhm. Yeah. Everything that so many fantasy characters deserve, I feel like is to be like, you know what? I'm going to start a new life. Deuces. Yeah, exactly. So that's most of what I have about her. Do you have anything else? No, that was it, really. It was about her feelings and how her feelings are valid, even though you're right, she is very sad. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. So inevitably, we're talking about the fucking mage. So much to say about the mage. <laughs> I just have he's a Reddit bro, which I've probably said before, but every the more that we get about him, I'm just like, oh God, dude. <laughs> so here's who I think the mage is. The mage is the cishet white dude who establishes himself as the leader of the anarchist compound (laughs) and won't listen to anyone else, never checks his privilege and constantly berates everyone for not being radical enough without ever taking into account their safety. He, okay. I don't know how many people this reference is going to be relevant to, but like, (laughs) I feel like he's Bill Ayers. Like he's a weather Mm. underground dude. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. And, like, obviously, we have to be reading the mage as a person of color because we're reading Simon as a person of color, but I feel like that doesn't change my reading of him. I mean, honestly, if the mage is, like, you know, very light-skinned and has blue eyes, like, he's also, you know, I still feel like that analogy still works. Right. It's right. It's, like, he's radicalized in the wrong ways. Right. <laughs> Much like a Reddit dude. I, I mean, like. I kind of feel like in his chapter, or like in Lucy's chapter where he's young, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I was when I was young too. Like, get it. You have all the energy in the world. Why not be super angry? But then you grow up and you figure out better, more effective ways to deal with all of the injustice that you see and you learn about nuance and like respecting other people and checking your privilege and figure out ways to engage with the world and make it a better place without being that dude but the mage didn't do that he's just like 40 years old and still going hard at this terrible way of existing in the world he's still raging against the machine oh my god (laughs) (sighs) yeah and it's sort of like and it's definitely one of those things where it's very clear that the mage lacks really the ability to see like you know nuances which Mm -hmm. i feel like is something that's also really easy to ignore when you're younger because it's much easier to have a very kind of uh, 
binary view of like what is wrong with the world mm-hmm. and like not necessarily be able to like pinpoint sort of like the nuances and the interconnectedness of all of those things because like, i mean i think because like in lucy's chapter it's like yeah like why are only the most powerful kids getting into Watford? what the fuck else are the other kids doing which is sort of like a bit like what happens in like the magicians where it's like what happens to people who don't get into break bills you know and so that's a very like important question to be asking and definitely a thing to be angry about but i know we're we're still in the first however many pages of this book but it doesn't even it doesn't even seem that the mage even made that change necessarily you know what do you mean for like whatever the hell less magically powerful kids who don't get into watford no he did that's what makes the mage such a complicated character is because right in lucy's chapter like the the mage is one million percent correct everything that he's upset about he should be upset about and it should be changed and he did like he came into power and he made those reforms everyone with magic can go to watford now they had to build a new dorm because so many more kids can come and like people like trixie weren't allowed to go to watford before the mages reforms so you know they have a they have a teacher who is a minotaur i think who worked on the grounds previous to the mage being headmaster because even though he's highly educated and competent and a good teacher the the rules of the school didn't allow non what do we call them other magical people Mm. to attend or work as as teachers at the school so like the mage's politics are in many many ways correct i totally forgot that happened (laughs) i'm realizing i'm like (laughs) i remember the key parts about this book which is boys making out so (laughs) yeah maybe it's kind of analogous to cishet white dudes who are ceos of nonprofits that work in like primarily like poc poor communities where it's like i get that you're doing some good things but also maybe you should consider i don't know i don't know i'm going with that never mind i lost my train of thought no i feel you i mean it's kind of like i don't know communism in russia where you can have a good set of ideals but if you enforce those ideals through militant you know overlord no one has a say you just have to do what the government says it doesn't really matter how good your intentions are or how you know quote-unquote right you are about injustice or how it should be corrected because you can do good things in ways that are harmful yeah no that's like that's like precisely it which again it's brings me just so much joy to have a character that is this nuanced you know yeah to have this character who i hate and also i agree with you know yeah he's not your standard fantasy villain who's just evil for the sake of being evil he's evil because he thinks that he's right and he is right 
and he's doing it in a way that makes him evil like i wish that we were still able to be on video because the glee on my face is, <laughs> is, is like radiating yeah it's it's i feel that maybe it's hard to have a nuanced villain because there's definitely not as many examples as i could come up with the top of my head for sure especially like in fantasy Hmm. I mean, I think that it that that's a big part of why I feel like he has Bill Ayer's energy is because it's not like I think most people in our corner of the world disagree politically with what the Weather Underground believed. However, the way that it played out from everything from this is so niche. I'm like, how many people are following me at all? But from everything from how they ran their organization, which was super sexist and really militant and shitty to people who weren't 100% on board, to the ways that they decided to play out their beliefs, it's like, that wasn't the right way to do that. You And you weren't good dudes, but politically, you had the right ideas, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, folks out there, if you want to read Bill Ayer's memoir about the Weather Underground. <laughs> which I have read. Which I have also read. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> uh, it contains things like, we only ate with chopsticks because forks were like, for the bourgeois. Like, it's things like that that make the mage like Bill Ayer's. Yeah, it's like almost a like parody of itself. Right, exactly. If it didn't like happen so often with radicalized cishet dudes. Mm-hmm. Do you want to sort of narrow in on the mage from his chapter in terms of the way that he thinks that Simon and power are the same thing? Yeah, so the mage's chapter is short. It's two pages according to my e-reader. And he's the mage spends most of the time referring to Simon's power and what he can do with it and less about Simon as a person. Right. And it is upsetting to read. Mm-hmm. Because it you're basically just reading the mage not like not connecting the fact that Simon is a human being who has his own like wants and needs and desires and his own autonomy being a human being and the mage is just so focused about all of the power that simon is that simon has and how to manage that slash control it right and there's no and there's just no awareness about how fucked up that is besides the vague like the vaguest feeling of guilt about you're supposed to be taking care of this kid well so can i read part of this sure you sure can so he says so this is three lines and three consecutive pair well quote-unquote paragraphs they're each like two sentences but i promise to take care of him how do you keep a promise like that to take care of a child and what does it mean to take care of power it's like you went from the specific of simon to the broad of child and then forgot that either Simon or Child existed and immediately just honed in on power. It's like he can't tell the difference between those two things. Uh, I 
don't think he can. No. And it's like, we do get this sense from the end of the chapter where he's talking about wanting to hide Simon. And it, it feels reminiscent of the way that Penny wants to take Simon away. And I think that it does imply a little bit of caring about actual Simon, right? The minimal amount of caring, I would say, but yes. <laughs> right. And that also kind of makes me, I don't know. I, I'm like, okay, well, you do at least have some sense of the fact that he's a person that you should be taking care of. But then I'm like, but also, if you wanted to take care of him, maybe you shouldn't have dropped him off at a fucking orphanage and abandoned him for the first 11 years of his life, for instance. Yeah. And then make him go back to that, and then make him be still an orphan without a permanent home. Right. Throughout this entire place. Besides Watford, which Simon is definitely like, this is my home. Right. Yeah, the mage is the worst. Yep. Cool. Let's go rant about other stuff. All right. Caught in a landslide. Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. This is you. This is me. I want to talk about... There's a bit in Simon's chapter... In Simon, in one of Simon's POV chapters where he feels awkward about talking to Agatha about her. She jumps competitive. I mean, she... What does she do competitively? Something with horses. Show jumper. There we go. And then, and then there's a really... There's like a little... A couple of lines about... Agatha trying to convince Simon to get on a horse and Simon being freaked out. <laughs> and I feel like my first thought was like how poor city kids interact with horses. <laughs> because as someone who didn't ride a horse until I was an adult and like really only had horse interaction at like petting farms and like the state fair, horses are scary. Horses They're are large. so scary. And every child's book from like the 50s and earlier is like some kid got kicked in the head by a horse and died or you fell off your horse and you broke your leg and got an infection and died and it's like wow being on a horse is fucking dangerous <laughs> but i think only part of that mind frame is like i live in a city interacting with horses is not a thing is not part of my everyday I didn't grow up doing it so like and i feel like you know agatha's probably like could ride a horse before she could walk kind of deal mm-hmm and it just, it also just, you know, something kind of brings it up and is kind of like, oh, I don't feel comfortable in her world kind of deal, which is like, oh, like whatever the fuck competitive show jumping is like, or dressage, or, you know, going to fancy events, wearing fancy hats. And it is kind of a lot and it is very weird, like horse related rich people things is very fascinating, but also very strange. But I also feel a little bit like, and I know Simon is like, hey, I've been trying to deal with saving the world and keeping myself alive. But you think if you were really into this relationship, you would know a little bit more about like your girlfriend's passion. Hmm. Just like a smidge. I don't know. I just, I love this. I just love this little bit about Agatha and the horses and Simon's like response to it all is very great. And also I feel like very relatable. 
mm-hmm. if you didn't grow up riding horses. Yeah. Yeah. I just, so I'm just thinking about, what am I thinking about? I'm not sure how well I sort of followed what the central point of what you're saying is, I think. Oh, sorry. I think I had a couple just sort of meshed in there. I think one of it is sort of Simon's class anxiety and how easily having a horse related hobby, I feel like is a good indication of class. Yeah. Because you have to be rich to be in really, you know, to be 110% in a horse related hobby like show jumping. Totally. Yes. You have to own horses and be able to go to stable your horse and like all of this stuff. Yeah. And like go to the travel to the meets with your horse. Yeah. It's an extremely expensive hobby. Yeah. Total not related to this at all, but there was my, when my grandma was in the hospital towards the end of her life, my aunt and I were visiting her one day and her doctor was sort of just hanging out and like talking to us casually and was complaining about how like she wanted to move but her husband didn't want to move and was saying they didn't have enough money but they didn't have enough space because their house was only 2,000 square feet and (coughs) she wanted land so that they could have a stable for or no an indoor riding track for her six horses that she was currently having to pay to have stabled somewhere. What the fuck? I know, and me and my aunt and my grandma were all just, like, looking at each other, just, like, with the look that you get on your face where you just literally have no point of reference (laughs) for anything that the person is talking about, and you're like, I don't know how to have this conversation with you right now. Yeah, it's like, this isn't a problem for i'm like right but i kind of feel like that like that's simon's whole experience being with agatha's family so i guess i feel like you're right that it's kind of weird that he doesn't know more about her hobbies but i also imagine that her hobbies to some extent just kind of break his brain yeah where no matter how much he sees her do it, which can't be very often because he can't see her in the summers. So the only yeah. time he can interact with her and her horses is Christmas break. Even with that amount of exposure, there's not really going to be a point where that can feel normal to Simon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, and you're, you're totally right. Cause that's just a level of wealth where as a poor city kid, Simon's just right. It's not, it's going to break his brain. He's just not going to be able to even retain any of the information that is like probably important to know about any of that. Right. Okay. I want to rant at least a little bit about, or at least touch on how unbelievably awkward the interaction between Agatha and Simon is. It's so awkward. (laughs) It's like horrifyingly awkward. (laughs) Yeah, it makes me like it makes me it makes my skin crawl a little bit because it's 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 very cringy, and neither of them are into it. And I'm like, you guys, yeah. it doesn't have to be this way. And like Simon thinks that they're gonna move on by talking about it, and, or by not talking about it. And Agatha clearly wants to talk about it, 
And I almost wish that we got the same scene from her point of view as well as from Simon's so that we could know what's going through her mind when she's wanting to talk about it. Like, is she wanting to talk about it so that it will lead to them breaking up? I don't know. It's just, it's just an incredible, incredibly uncomfortable scene. Mm-hmm. And then Simon's like, we hung out, but mostly silently. And I'm like, you guys. Yeah. And especially because I don't get the feeling that they were making out during that time. So it's, you guys are just sitting there quietly on the grass, just awkward, just, ugh. Mm-hmm. It's like the awkward tension. I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. no. Oh, it's so awkward. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy? Where we talk about the nitty gritty of magic. Go first. Crystal balls are a useful thing here. Yeah, they are. That Penny is into. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone can just use them because they're magic. For the love of God. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel like we have to acknowledge that not everyone who listens to this podcast listens to the Gailey Prophet. So that's a frustration that we're bringing with us from Harry Potter. Hence the way we're talking about it. Okay, continue. That was really my only bit. I'm like, they're useful, you know? Moderately. They're real. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, based on what Simon says Penny would see, whether or not they're super useful. That's fair. Because, like, if it doesn't give you an indication of how or why or when, it just is, like, a thing. I would definitely never use a crystal ball. Like, <laughs> never. Yeah, that's fair. But magical science, which let me tell you about how much I love that. So, yeah, um, we finally get my favorite line in that little section that I've talked about a lot on the Gaily Prophet. Not believing in portents is like not believing in beans on toast because you live in a magical fucking world and divination is real. Like, of course it is. And it makes me so, so happy that it's just like all of these things, all of these forms of divination and whatever are just as much a part of the fabric of the magical reality as being able to do a spell. Yeah. Because you're magic. Yeah, it is. It is very ridiculous the way that it's treated at hogwarts in the harry potter series especially since the importance of prophecies is hella important to the overall story Mm -hmm. and everyone is treats it like it's i don't know what is a i'm trying to think of a blow-off class that people take at high school no one takes home ec but that's that's not even what comes to mind like it's a they they treat it at hogwarts like it's a blow-off class with nothing really serious but Again, right, divinations is a real magic that has actual important consequences to the, you know, to the entire story. So for them to treat it like it's just like, whatever, doesn't make any sense. No. Also, magical science is clearly a thing they should be teaching at Hogwarts. Heck yeah. (laughs) Can we talk about, about power? Yeah. 
So, right. So some magicians are stronger than others. Watford used to only ma- admit the strongest magicians. There were trials that you had to do to get into the school, which is just, uh, to me, really interesting that it's not, it doesn't seem like a matter of practicing or something that you can like learn over time uh it's just like an inborn you have x amount of of power and that's not changeable Mm -hmm. i don't really know what there is to necessarily like say about it aside from like i'm interested in it and kind of want to talk about it yeah i think it is it's interesting especially to think about what is it 11 or 12 year olds doing it which somehow makes it the trials seem more like i don't want to say like hunger games-esque but like a little bit because like what are what are these trials you have to do and there's probably some danger involved because you're a literal child i mean shit at least at break bells you're a teenager and you're just doing a very strange standardized test essentially yeah, that's actually a really good point because I didn't think about the fact that they were that they were 11 when they're doing the trials. Do you feel like it's like an aptitude test that kids have to take to get into like a private school, but only somehow, I mean, because the aptitude tests are like not neutral, right? You, yeah. You, your aptitude at something at age 11 has a lot to do with like how you were raised and what kinds of things you've been given access to and whatever it's not like you're gonna be the same as an adult whereas this is sort of like fixed but i guess i'm like is it an age appropriate thing how do you fail them i wish that they had just like a a meter that they could like hook to your finger and it would just show how much power you have for some reason i'm just thinking of like a magical geiger counter you just wave in front of a child and it goes or not depending on how much magic they have that's exactly what i want yes i mean i don't want it because i want everyone to be able to go to watford but it's it's probably something ridiculous where you have to use your magic to cross a thing or block a thing or enter a thing or whatever the fuck and it's like, good luck, kid. Hope you don't get maimed doing this thing. But it can't be something that requires practice, can it? Or is it because they also are trying to keep only like the right kinds of families at Watford? And so that would mean the kinds of families where the parents have the time and resources to teach their kids how to get through the trials. Right, and, like, what kind of spells to use. Right. Interesting. But, no, that can't be true. Or at least not entirely, because Lucy's brother didn't get in. Mm. And she comes from, like, a, a wealthy magic family. Yeah, I mean, it must just be a thing you have to figure out how to get through on your own. Yeah. That isn't standardized in some kind of way. Interesting. So my last thing about the magical power thing is that if until quite recently Watford was only admitting a select few, even of people who are born into the quote unquote world of mages and everyone was pairing off at 
Watford that just confirms the conversation that we had recently about the fact that for sure there are magical folks who are reproducing with normals and so the magic gene is out there in the normal population therefore for sure every once in a while a magical kid would be born to normals yeah because like what are you supposed to do just like never have a relationship just because you didn't get into watford that's ridiculous yeah that is true i don't know maybe do you think they would just steal that magical child though and just wait what do you think the mages would just steal a magical child that was born of normals and then be like my surprise ne- my surprise cousin or something well but they say that simon's the only magician who's ever been born to normals which seems unrealistic unless someone is lying about where their children are coming from <laughs> i guess is what i'm trying to say right no i mean i i assume that that magical kids who are born to normals just never find their way to the world of mages mm. i guess that makes sense yeah Okay, so yeah, that's all I've got here. What do you have? All right. I have a few more points. So fairies are real in this world mm-hmm. and do not give a fuck, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Simon just mentions that they've never found their way to Watford. And I'm like, honestly, I can see why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. Especially because they only as recently as however long the mage has been in power would have been allowed at Watford. So, like, why would they even consider going, you know? Right. I also want to point out that we have not one, but two Wizard of Oz references in this here string of chapters. (laughs) We have Simon offhandedly mentioned that one of the beginning of school year garden parties uh, the humdrum sent flying monkeys to attack them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm like, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it just made me laugh out loud. I can't believe I've missed that every time I've read this book. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> and also, one of the spells that Simon uses to see who is in his room is come out, come out wherever you are. Which mm-hmm. is also a very famous song from the Wizard of Oz, the the movie, not not the book. Is that the origin of that phrase? You know, I didn't do enough research to see if that was the origin of that phrase, but it does make me wonder if that's where the popularity of that of that phrase becoming enough to be magical would be from that movie. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what you say when you've given up in hide and seek. That's true, and also. Ali Ali Oxenfree, too, which, according to Wikipedia, is actually a very old phrase that has changed the way that it's pronounced and what it means, blah blah A bit of an older phrase than come out, come out wherever you are, mm-hmm. but uh, also used in, like, children's games, primarily. Right. Is that it? That might be it. Those are the, uh, the only magical things. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next week, we will be reading chapters 15 and 16. So make sure you... Why do I keep saying next week? It's every two weeks. Whatever. whatever, What is time anymore? Whatever time this comes out. Next episode, we will be (laughs) reading... 
chapters 15 and 16. So uh, make sure you read those. And uh, remember, if you like this podcast, check out our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, where we uh, talk about Harry Potter humorously, yet ruthlessly. Speaking of The Gaily Prophet, this is where you can find us on the internet at thegailyprophet.com is our website. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Gaily Prophet and on Tumblr at the Gaily Prophet Pod. If you want to support us making this here podcast, you can become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Gaily Prophet. Um, you should also leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this here podcast. Um, and tell all your friends. They should definitely re-carry on. And they should definitely listen to, listen to this podcast. If you want to find me on the internet, you should follow me on Instagram at Lark Malachi. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I. Or check out my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. Uh, especially if you want to get a tarot reading from me, because that's mostly what you can do on my website. Which you totally should. Uh, if you want to follow, if you want to know what I'm doing when I'm not recording two podcasts uh you can follow me on twitter at jesse underscore detroit or on instagram at live from detroit the music in our theme song is by kevin mcleod the music in our transitions is by queen our show art is by theo julian forrester and until next time scatamoosh <laughs> it's much harder to do when I can't see your face. It's super harder. <laughs> <laughs>